Sure. It's all good. We just start fresh. All right. Yeah. Unless you hang oh, up. Were you about to start though, because you gotta do the intro again. All right, we're gonna do this again because Tate messed up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Y'all witnessing this, man. Y'all right. me up for this. I feel bad. All right, we got the welcome to the Whiskey Wisdom Winning Podcast. We got Tate again. Hey. We got Richie. Yo, yo, yo. The parts of this podcast you missed. Hopefully, we can add this in because it was some good convo. If not, we'll try our best to reciprocate in this one. Um, <laughs> all right. So I got a question for y'all. Like I said, we all military. We all seasoned military. Um, some of us are getting close to retirement, but we are still in. We have a good knowledge of everything, the inner workings of the military. I'm mm-hmm. in a different career field. I've seen a different perspective of the Air Force. My question to y'all is, do you think weed should be legal in the military? Ooh. Ooh. So, Tay, you want to go first or you want me to go first? You go first, Richie. All right. So, and if you say uh, yes, I want, I want why or why not? Oh, of course, of course. So, from my perspective, uh, I live in Montana, and uh, the mission that I have over here uh, deals with nuclear weapons. So, me personally... For the mission set that we have, I do not think that it should be legal. Mm-hmm. Just for the simple fact, having people use it and having people abuse it mm-hmm. is, is two different things. You know, um, you can't be distracted or, or you, you know, you can't have any type of distractions in your system mm-hmm. when doing this job because we carry the one of the number one missions for, you know, that America looks at us as. So. Me personally, I don't think that if you have a mission set that deals with something really critical, you should be allowed to do it. However, if you just, you know, have a nine to five job and, you know, if you, you know, it doesn't stop you or stop the mission, mm-hmm. I don't see why it shouldn't be. So you're saying that if you have a certain mission, you shouldn't be able to. And if you are like, um, so, so I just want to make sure I understood what you said. If you're. In the military, it kind of should be legal depending on your job. Am I right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, I guess it's on me. I I have a hard time with this because one, I'm not really a you know, a smoker like that at all. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I really don't really care for it. But I don't think I I have to agree with Richie with I don't agree that it should be legal in the military. One. Because if you look at alcohol, right? So alcohol, we already have enough DUIs that we have to deal with people, you know, drinking while driving, drinking at the age and everything else. So I feel like if we allowed marijuana into the military, it would be the same thing. People will come to work high. They'll come to work under the influence. And I think overall, it'll stop the overall mission from happening. Now, if we look at it, you know, it's already enough that supervisors have to deal with these kids and these kids lives are being destroyed in the military because once you get a dishonorable discharge in the military you're it's, it's hard for you to live in the outside world mm-hmm. when happening and i feel like it'll be more dishonorable discharges when people smoke uh, people using marijuana than it would be if people you know got duis or got an ari um so i don't think it should be legal just for the simple fact that i think the military had to do with a lot more people you know what I mean? Having yeah. uh, um, problems with disciplinary or oh, disciplinary issues, if I, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought I, I would. Can I hop in real quick? There's another thing that Tate brought. He well, first I want to clarify for everybody: uh, ARI is an alcohol-related incident. Since he didn't, you know, explain what that meant, just in case our viewers were trying to figure out what that was. You mother. So, something <laughs> that talked about that. You know, the supervisor. Can you imagine you're, you're trying to lead troops that just don't care? I mean, you it's hard to discipline the, the airmen already these days with and, and by the, the inside of, look, I need you to have some buy-in into doing with your job. And then you got people coming to work high as fuck and they don't care? Like, that, that is something that a lot of people don't take in consideration. You got to deal with those people when they come in and they're hungry and they just want to chill. Yeah. And none of the work is getting done. Yeah, no doubt. I think that um, I think that a good idea in 
like theory and thought, like because of the way the world is going right now with weed being legalized in certain states. But I don't think that because it's being legalized in certain states that the military should be looking at it as something they should legalize for our personnel, you know, in any branch or, you know, or anything like that, because it's just not, it it just doesn't fit what we're trying to one promote for the military. And two, it doesn't fit any of our jobs. Can you imagine being a personnelist and being high and trying to write an MFR? Mm. Mm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, I then you got people back because of the munchies, but that's neither here nor there. So I agree. I agree. I want to just go and say, hey, that I, I agree. I agree. I agree with y'all and say it probably shouldn't be. It took me a while to get to that point, too, because in the beginning I was like, well, you know, it's going to get harder and harder to fight it because it's I say in five, five to ten years, I, maybe less than that. It's going to be legalized across the country. It's It's coming. We all know it's coming. Which means it's going to be harder and harder to um, fight against it. But like you said, it is going to be hard if you have troops high and you're trying to discipline these troops. You're trying to lead these troops and they're high because we all know what happens. What do they say? Um, don't drink eight hours prior to arming up. <laughs> right. Right. We know damn well, each one of us, that nobody follows that rule. Not a, Not 100%. I've had people back when Confirm. I was, I've had people back when I was a weapons instructor come onto the line. We had to kick a guy off the line because he was drunk. Oof. Yeah, they brought the cops out there. <laughs> they, he, he, they made him uh, do the blow test. He blew, and then yeah, he got arrested. I'm like, look, see, <laughs> so you already know. Yeah, man. So I just think that uh, you know, because of those simple things, man. I don't think it just fits our what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish, especially now. Maybe if I was an airman, I would think different. But, you know, I see I you have to see the third and fourth order of effects. That's one of Richie's favorite lines mm-hmm. of, I like- of the thing, of, of everything that happens, that comes along with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That's- All right. So my next question for y'all then. In these times, obviously, we know what's going on because um, COVID kind of hit us out of nowhere in the beginning of 2020. Um, I remember I was TDY. I was in Florida in February, and that's when I kind of started hearing more and more about COVID. And then COVID kind of just hit us, and then everything shut down. Everything Mm -hmm. shut down. Um, Even me, I had to go straight into telework because I'm not an essential employee anymore. Um, So I wasn't out there, and I felt bad because, you know, cops still had to go to work. But I was at home working from home. Shut up. You didn't feel bad. You grew up didn't feel bad at all. First off, your Instagram didn't tell me that you felt bad. <laughs> you had a full beard. It was a sympathy <laughs> beard, man. In the he gym. looking like rock. Bro, man. you was in the gym 24-7. <laughs> Talking about, oh, teleworking is hard. Like, get out of here. <laughs> nah, but, but, yo, real, real talk. Back to my point. When it happened, we already know that mental health has been a, a big issue in society, correct? We know 22 yeah. veterans a day. We know we hear this repetitively. We know in the civilian sector, suicide is such a big thing that affects people. Um, it's near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear to, I know it's near and dear to Taze. I know it's near and dear to you, Richie, and P, whoever P is. But we, we, we know that it's near and dear to us. But when COVID happened, it got heightened. And I got worried, not for myself, um, but for people that were alone. <laughs> right. People that were already having issues and they were by themselves and now they're alone. Now they don't have anyone to socialize with, but over the phone, but on a gaming system. How are they going to deal with that? So my question to y'all is, during these times when mental health is even heightened, what are y'all doing to keep your mental health in check? Uh, cool. Go ahead, Richie, please. Man, this is uh, at this current moment near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just returning from I'm the deployment. I returned from a deployment back in J- July. I was uh, in Iraq. And it was a very stressful deployment. And coming back has been a little difficult getting back into the hang of things. Because when I left, there was no COVID. And now that I'm back, everybody's wearing masks. There's a lot of restrictions. I see this all the time with airmen that come up to Montana. You have people that are 
you know, they were growing up in New York, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, California, wherever. And then they come to Montana and they've been away from their families. And during this stage of COVID, a lot of people don't know, but kids aren't allowed to go back to see their family after they go to their technical school before they go to their base. So once they depart their families for basic training, they're going six weeks to basic, 10 weeks to basic training, and then another six to 10 weeks to their technical school and coming straight to their base. And they don't have that sense of home anymore. They really, a lot of them are lost and they're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So being the mental health portion for me personally, I go to mental health. Mm-hmm. There was a stigma 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, and it still is a little bit today, that if you went to mental health as a cop, you lose your gun, a lot of bad things happen to you, and you're looked at as a bad person. Mm-hmm. But, but, but mental health has been very helpful for me because I'm able to talk those things out. I'm able to, you know, talk to somebody that can figure out what's wrong with me and, and help me get to sleep and all those things. So I help, I talk to another specialist on the side and I go through my coping systems to get me my mental health stable because mine isn't the, the best right now. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Okay. I respect I respect you for admitting that. That's what I'm I lo- I love it. That's big, Rick. That's big to admit that, bro. For real, mm-hmm. for real. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Law. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no no no! I'm just, the reason I respect it is because you are you a leader, you're a leader, and the fact that you're admitting that you can do that and just keeping your mental health in check, and admitting that you have to work on your mental health is something that your troops will respect. I respect it, man, because um, you always look to the leaders to see what they do. You know, if you want to be a good leader, find a good leader and emulate them. <laughs> that's what you know. That's, that's how I looked at. It. I remember when I was a young airman, I didn't always. I didn't always register with me, but I respect that. So go ahead, sir. Well, for, for me, man, y'all know, y'all know my story. Y'all know I've been down to the low as a low and I almost did something stupid to, you know, to not just affect me, but affect everybody around me. So what I, I told myself I would never get that low again. So Mm -hmm. when all this happened, when the COVID thing happened, man, me and my wife, we honestly did, no, personally, we honestly did, like, date nights in the house. Like, we got dressed up. She got dolled up. You know, like, some of the cliche things that you've seen on the internet. And also, closer with our faith. I'm so proud of my wife because she was able, to, like, she really didn't, you know, have, she wasn't really religious, I should say, before she met me, man. But she got into church. She's gotten to reading the Bible. We got into doing, like, Bible says together, man, and we got like really close. And I honestly, with during this time, I honestly started seeing uh, a different maturity level or growth in me and my wife and in our marriage. And it was amazing. Um, So that's what I did personally, man. But on the flip side of that, um, my wife, during this time, to keep my mental health, y'all know working out was a big thing for me. It is a big thing for me. Um, the gyms were closed. Mm-hmm. Yo, tell me why my wife gave me the money that I needed to build my own garage gym. I'm talking about weights, barbells, power racks, dumbbells, all the medicine balls, boxes. Y'all know I like to do CrossFit. So, um, she gave me all that equipment. And with that, bro, I was able not only to help myself in that aspect, but I was able to help all the young kids around Hampton lived in Hampton, Virginia, I was able to help all the young kids around Hampton whose football camps were shut down, whose, you know, summer programs were shut down. Bro, you can ask my wife, I literally had, like, maybe 50 kids in my backyard at one time. And, like, literally working out, kids from the inner city. I'm not talking about, like, military kids. I'm, like, kids that, like, I just met. Like, I was at the, I was running on the track and I just met all these kids and I told them I got a weight room and they were, like, that and they just came to the house and we were and I was able to do workouts with these kids. I was able to do, you know, and then on top of that, and and I'm not ashamed to say it, there were mostly 99% of them were young black kids. You know what I'm saying? Who if they didn't come to my house, God knows what they were doing because they were out of school. There was no other programs going on. There was no YMCA. There was none of that. All that was shut down. So who knows what they were doing? That one or two hours that I had them working out in my house. And then I was able to mentor them, talk to them, and some of them 
you know, give them rides, bro. I was giving kids rides, like, across town, like, you know, to their house. And I was picking kids up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was doing all this during the summer. And that really helped me knowing that I had, like, a job. Because we were, like, one day on, one day off working because of the COVID situation. So I was literally able to do that and keep myself busy. Like, I had a full-time job, bro. Trust me, taking care of them kids. And then taking care of my own kids was a full-time job, bro. So I really, I really am thankful that this COVID thing, this COVID uh, time taught me how to adapt and how to be resilient in that way. And that really kept my mental health going. That's good, man. That's what's up, bro. Wow. And I'm sorry about the long answer, but I know. It was no, long. man. I love it, bro. Because we were watching it on Instagram. <laughs> Right, yeah. I was like, "Yo, Tay is out there." Yaz was like, "Yo, that's Coach Tay. She, he, he, the neighborhood coach." Yeah, Uncle Tay over here, man. Yeah. Uncle Tay, love the kids. Yeah, we gonna start calling you Unc. And then, hey, just shout out to those kids, man, because I had I had three kids, man, who who are actually like D one, highly sought after kids that came to my house, man, and uh, one committed to Notre Dame, one committed to Ball State, one committed to Clemson. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's what's up. And I'm telling you, when the boys work out, man, they get after it. And it's like, you see a different hunger in these kids, man. It's like they ain't got nothing, bro. Mm-hmm. They have nothing. You know what I'm saying? And this is the only way, man. And when you when you are lying and, you, and this is the only food that you got to eat, mm-hmm. bro, these kids go hard. They did whatever I told them to do. Low, I put them through a workout where I closed the garage. I turned the heat on. I wouldn't they they, they walked in there with their hoodies. I didn't let them take their hoodies off and they got after it, bro. So it literally helped their mental health as well, man. That's what's up, man. It hey, was hey, just a good time, man. Hey Tay, can I ask you a question real quick though? Ah, uh, here did, we go. Did you put them through the workout that you said you was gonna write for me? I was just asking. I was just asking. Ooh. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to know. Ooh. So Lo asked me to do, give him a running workout. A speed and agility. A speed and agility. Excuse me. A speed and agility workout. Low. How's that work? First off, you know what? I it's actually Lo a really good work. Oh, wait. Low ain't had speed since he was nine, <laughs> and he ain't never had agility. So I was like, why am I going to waste my time writing the workout that he ain't going to never, he going to look at it and post it somewhere and be like, yeah, this was nice. That's all you were doing. going to post it somewhere? <laughs> That's all you were. Every time, Richie, you can tell you this, and you can be on my side or not. Every time we wasn't running at the 435, Low had a knee problem. Low had a back he problem. Did. Low automatically had an injury. He was the most injury-prone person <laughs> When, I think I seen Low in the three years we were together did go on two runs. <laughs> but I, that's I'm i not being petty, though. I'm not being petty. And I'm sorry for not giving you that workout. No, nah, that's cool, I, man. I appreciate it, man. You gave it to them kids, and they, and they went on to do better things. But, you know what I mean? I'm still slow and not be able to run. But whatever, you know. Hey, Low, I got What's a up, question man? for you. So, for our listeners, you know, some may see kids going through – stages that they may need somebody to mm-hmm. talk to what do you think the best tools are for possibly kids in the military how can they get their help if they see it or if they need help Ooh, themselves and outside of the military how how can they get them help if they see that or if they're going through something right mm, you know that's a hard one to answer man because i don't know if i have the answer to it i just um uh, find somebody you can lean on, man. You know, I mean, I hate to just be so, I guess I'm not answering the question, but I'm trying to answer it is you got to find someone to lean on. Um, you know, like when we were in the 435th, I found how to lean on. Tay said he found us to lean on. I knew that if I had a problem, I needed to come talk or I needed to get something off my chest, which I did several times. I could go to y'all. Y'all were my friends, my brothers, and my mentors, and that's what got me through Germany, especially when I had some difficult times. Um, for if they need it outside the military or they want to they re- not reach in the military, maybe find a family member, you know, find a family member that you can confide in. Um, because you got to be careful who you reach out to, especially with mental health issues, because not everybody wants to see you win. Not everybody wants to see you do um, good. And some people just don't care. Um, mm. 
And that's that's the reality I had to come to. Some people really just don't <laughs> like there's a there was somebody at the 435th that said something to me that stuck with me. I heard it at their hooch call. It was Sarn Stott. Whatever, I, you know, I don't know if y'all cool with him or not, but what, he had his hooch call and he said something at the hooch call that always stood with me till this day. He said, if you're young, if comes in there to speak to you, pull out the cat card and listen. Yeah. And it, it resonated with me because since then, I've been in the military since whenever he left the 435th all the way up until now. I've been in several, several leaders' offices where I was talking to them and not necessarily about a problem, but just talking to them while they were still typing. <laughs> and mm. as I thought about it, I was like, man, what if I was having suicidal thoughts? <laughs> what if I was having marital issues? What if I was having financial issues? Would they still be typing? And that's what, that's what really resonated with me, you know, pull out the cat card and that can apply to anything in life. Stop what you're doing and listen. I have a problem in my marriage where sometimes Yaz could be talking to me and sometimes I'll be on my phone and listening. And I even told her I am working on that. So I put my phone down and I try to listen to her because even if it's just something that's not like super, super crazy important, but she just wants to talk, it's important enough to her that she wants to talk about it. So I need to listen Mm. and vice versa. So, I mean, I don't know if I answered the question, Richard, I went around it, but... You know, no. So I mean, I I think that's a a pretty solid answer. I think you know some of the things that I've seen because I I've seen that supervisor that sits behind and continues typing while you're trying to talk to them and they're mm-hmm. not listening. But I have a story that I'll share with y'all if y'all are willing to listen. Well, do we got a do we got I, another day or two to listen? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I I'll make this short. So you know, I was there was a young airman that didn't come in to work mm-hmm. on time and. You know, the supervisor of him or his supervisor came to me and brought a situation to me. And I told him, I was like, well, let's give him a call together and figure out what's going on. So he wanted to yell at the kid and tell him to bring his behind mm-hmm. in. But instead, I was like, talk to him when he gets in here. So we called him and I spoke to him and I was like, hey, what's going on? He was like, oh, man, I just woke up. I was like, all right, you need to get in. I'll see you when you get in here. I want to talk. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. Ten minutes later, 10 minutes later he calls back and he's like crying and he's like, I can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. And at that time he was ready to take the steps to commit mm-hmm. suicide. So the reason I say that is because the way his supervisor wanted to mm-hmm. approach it was, Oh, I'm going to just yell at him as soon as he gets on the phone. But what we didn't know is he had just found out his sister had stage mm-hmm. three cancer and he, he was going through a rough time and he just needed somebody to talk to. He didn't need somebody yelling at him. So, what would have been those next steps if we wouldn't have took the time to listen? Exactly. And that's and that's that's uh essential, man, when you're dealing with these young kids who don't have anyone, like those unmarried airmen staying in the dorms or staying in an apartment by themselves. That's essential for us to listen, bro, because I have a similar story where I have a I have a troop now who literally showed up. He never he's never late. Never late. And he showed up late like four days in a row. And then I brought him in the office. And instead of like my two IC was like, oh, we're about to get in his butt. I said, no. I brought him in the office and said, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Bro, he was getting verbally abused by his wife. Mm. She was he was an alcoholic and he was getting verbally abused by her. And he like finally took the steps to you know, take care of himself and get out of the situation. And he was staying up all night and arguing with doing all these different things. And I had no clue. And I told him from now on, man, don't you ever go through something like that and not talk to me first, mm-hmm. you know? What I mean? And if we would have, and I don't know what would have happened if I would approach it a certain way, dirt bag, why you all late every day? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like Richie said, like, it's, it's a way to, you have to understand before you react. And I think the mentality, especially in security forces, and you guys can say, you guys can relate to this, is that we have this mentality and this culture of reacting to things before we even understand stuff. Because that's the way our leadership did us. And that's the way we should do. That's the way they feel we should do these airmen is that we should react before we understand. 
You know what I mean? Now, don't get me wrong. There's some airmen who are just dirtbags, but there are some who are actually going through real life problems mm -hmm. or, and this is the important part, Lo, I want y'all to listen to this, mm -hmm. or they're going through problems that we don't think that they're big problems, but they're big problems to them. We have, we are experienced in life. Mm -hmm. So we're late on a credit card payment two months late on the credit card payment, it's not a really big deal to us yet. We know we got to get it paid, but for them, that might be a critical thing. Yeah. So might break up with a girlfriend and, you know, and they think this is the end of the world, but we broke up with many of girlfriends. We all have wives, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's not really a big deal to us because we know like you're going to move on and you're going to be better. So we have to understand their situation and we have to understand what they're going through at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Richie. Go ahead. No, no, you you good. I I, I kind of lost train of thought. A moment of transparency, though, right? So, yeah. so remember, I brought up how I lost the brother friend. My my issue with him. Mm -hmm. I reacted without knowing the situation. Tay, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what happened. And that's exactly why I'm doing my best to be a better person today is because I realized my faults from last year. Every day you should strive to be better than you were the day before. And I literally reacted to something and I didn't know everything that was going on. And mm -hmm. like you said, but my, my cost friend or brother relationship wise, the cost of that, like you, like you just brought up, that could be someone's life. Right. Right. That, that could Low. be somebody's life. <laughs> and that's not a cost that I'm willing to take. I'm not willing to bet on someone's life. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to do that no more. No. You listen. Find out what's going on, you know? Dang, Lo, how many times can you imagine, either in your professional life or your marriage, personal life, whatever, have you reacted? You and Richie, have you reacted before you even heard the whole story? I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> And I get a little <laughs> emotional when I say that, not even trying to be funny. It's because, Tay, you know this personally. And, Richie, you know this. I've almost gotten divorced twice. Mm -hmm. And I have reacted. And, and people know this. This isn't any secret. I was not a good husband in the beginning of my marriage. And I've done that. I've reacted to things, and I didn't know the story with my own wife. <laughs> her her right. safe place, bro, should be with me. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, her safe place should be here. And I didn't make it a safe place. And as a supervisor for a troop, your troop safe place should be you. If you're a supervisor. That's what I was ask you. Where is the troop's safe place? It should be with their supervisor. It shouldn't be with their peers. It shouldn't be. The supervisor should be that safe haven, safe place for their troops if they got something going on. And I'm sure Richie would echo that too. So I, I, I have a... <laughs> The way I learned wasn't necessarily from my troops, but even deeper, it was from my child. Ooh. Mm. And it's it's something simple, but it just had it had a it was very hard on me. And my daughter, she was I think two or three years old. I ran the bath water for her. She be able to cut it off, or I cut it off and I told her to get in the tub. And she came downstairs and she was hesitant to get in the tub. In the tub, and I'm like, "Go get your butt in the tub!" Like I don't understand what the issue is, but. She literally stood outside the, the tub crying, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So she has all these toys in her tub, and I go in there, and I'm looking. And I don't see anything. There's nothing but toys. So I start moving the toys around, and there's about a, a foot long. If I don't know if y'all know what a house centipede is. Uh -huh. A house centipede is, if, if y'all want to Google it, our listeners, if you Google it, it's about maybe an inch and a half wide, and it could get up to like 12 inches long, and Though it's very harmless, it eats all the insects in your house. It can be terrifying if you don't know what it is. Because mm -hmm. it's terrifying. So I Googled it. Mm -hmm. Just taking that moment and not just saying, okay, let me find out what's going on and just being trigger happy to reacting really had me freaked out. Because if she would have, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been a snake or, or and I, I may be exaggerating, but something that could have caused harm to her and me just not even paying attention mm -hmm. could result something worse always look at uh -huh. the case scenario of what could have happened uh -huh. so taking that lesson right there is how i try to carry life and that's how i bring it to my troops so it hasn't really been a truth that i've been listening to and i want to go back to something real quick tay you said uh the dirt bags i want to make sure that you know our listeners are understanding that even dirt bags get love too 
You know, of course, if they're they can be the worst kid out, he's still gonna show them love if on their worst day. So, yeah, because because uh, I've had plenty of dirt bags that turned into the best troop in the whole entire. So, I mean, they what and what I mean by dirt bag is people who don't want to do right, even though they know that they're doing wrong because they I, and I believe. I, I, I'm a firm believer there are no bad troops. There are only bad supervisors. Ooh. I believe we only have dirtbag troops because we, don't have, we haven't had a supervisor that knows how to reach them. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a supervisor that knows how to speak their, speak their language or, speak, uh, or communicate to them the way they need to be communicated to. So that's what I mean by a dirtbag troop who just basically had bad supervisor after bad supervisor and they pawn these kids off to people and then the kids started saying well if everybody say I'm bad then I must be bad but, so I'm gonna just bad. so man. you know what I mean so you get someone to literally sit down sit down with them and show them like hey man there's there there you can do good let's find what you're good at that's what real supervisors do bro we find we find out what our troops are good at and we put them in that position we put our troops in the position to win Word. Is I'm so tired, bro. I'm so tired of seeing these troops getting thrown off on the wayside or not getting the opportunity they deserve or not getting the attention they deserve because people are classifying them as dirtbags. Uh, if you go through life, you've never made a mistake, you judge someone for making a mistake, then what good are you? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you there? These kids are 20 something years old, they're gonna make mistakes. We We put put so much trust in them. We give them a gun, Mm -hmm. we give uh, we put them in front of billion dollars of assets, and we tell them to guard all this stuff. You don't think they're gonna make a mistake? Mm -hmm. Come on, man. Come on, and take you body that. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm get I get I get get body that segment, (laughs) right? I get everything. Bro, because I just can't stand these dudes. I mean, these supervisors, men and women supervisors, who just don't know how to treat people. Absolutely. Treat people with respect, man. Even the youngest airmen, treat them with respect and treat them with love and treat them and lead with love. And then you'll see a whole different troop, man. I promise you. I know Richie can attest to this, man, because he got people. He got people left and right coming to him, telling him how great he mm-hmm. is. You know. What yeah, you got a uh, did a did Pena message you, uh, Richie. Uh, yeah, I talked to him every other day. Yeah, did man. he send you the picture? No, he didn't yeah, send the picture I, I, yet. we went and got wings or whatever, man. He was almost sending this picture to our, uh Brown. I was like, all right, man. I make sure I hear. Yeah, him like, yo, sure. man. <laughs> He's a good dude. He's another one. He's a good dude, man. Absolutely. Oh, low. You went and got wings. Yeah, them, no, I got wings. You know what I mean with the A. <laughs> wings. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, so I let's. On, what, she's on keto. What'd you say, Richie? What's the next question? All right, so here we go. So we, we're gonna switch gears a little bit because it's not. Oh. We're gonna it's kind of on the same topic, but we're not gonna go with the suicide mental health thing. This is just. Do you think in the military? Because we've been in all long enough. Do you think in the military that we are too micromanaged and do you feel like it's justified? Mm. Tay, you can go first. Um, I believe that we're only, I think you're only micromanaged according to your leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, my old, for instance, the basin I'm at, uh, my old commander, and just for the listeners, at uh, Langley Air Force Base, my old commander, I feel like uh, that person was very uh, micromanaged. He needed to know everything that was going on in the unit, and it was just a bad, uh, it was a bad atmosphere, if you will. New commander comes in. It's so funny how the atmosphere and how things change when new, when 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 new good people come into leadership if that if you will is that does mm-hmm. that make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when a new leadership that's just a good person i'll never forget this man I, i'll say it i'll say it until i'm dead man i'll believe this until i'm dead because uh 
at the time, well, now Colonel John Sullivan, I asked him how he's such a good commander. He just said, Julius, I'm just a good person. You guys will always hear me say this. And our new commander came in and said, I just want to be a good person. That's how you be a good leader. Just be a good person mm-hmm. first. Damn. So when you're a good person, you don't have to worry about micromanaging people because you put people who are going to want to put their best foot forward. Now, I do believe. Take, take. Can I ask, person- you, can I ask you a question real quick before I forget? No, no, no. You're good. It's on the same topic that you're on. Do you think empowerment and, and uh, micromanaging go hand in hand? Mm. Ooh. Okay. So I think when you empower people, um, when you empower mm-hmm. people and they show themselves incapable of handling that mm-hmm. power, then I believe that micromanaging needs to happen because, well, not necessarily micromanaging. I'm not going to say micromanaging. I believe that training needs to happen in order for them to be mm-hmm. empowered. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. I believe that when you empower someone and they show themselves able, I believe uh, retraining them in order to handle that power needs gotcha, to happen. Gotcha. But um, I think that's where it may seem like it's micromanaging, mm-hmm. but it's not really micromanaging. But there are people who micromanage in the military and they don't get the best results out of out of their people. Look, I mean, look at anybody who micromanages is in the military, you'll see a a morale, uh, morale's not high. You'll see people, you'll see a team not working together. And you'll see people talking outside of the circle. When you're in a unit that's supposed to be close-knit, there's supposed to be no chatter outside the circle. There's no camaraderie when people are micromanaged. You know what I mean? Because you're always looking over your shoulder. If I always got to look over my shoulder, then I'm not I'm not being effective, mm-hmm. and I'm done. Go ahead, Richie. So, um, I got a, I got a lot, but I'm gonna make it really quick. <laughs> so with micromanagement, it's gonna be Richie's theme from now. <laughs> no, with the with the micromanagement, there's there's things that are are very critical that a lot of people don't realize. So one thing about the micromanagement that I do see that I don't like is. There, I will say 10% of the people out there have an OCD to, to see things through. And that's okay. That's like a thing. But the other 90% of people have the lack of trust. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when you, you're not trusting your people to do stuff, of course you're going to continue to monitor everything that they do because you don't think they're reliable of getting the job done. And what type of leader is that are you making, are you building to do? Because that is a, a situation that continues to go on. Your followers are going to do is majority of what you do because they enjoy watching your leadership. So it's a stigma that we can get from. But like Tay was saying, with some of the best leaders, when you see it not done, it makes you feel good. That's how you build leaders. Yes, people are going to make mistakes. But in the military, the best leaders are made when they're put in hot water and they're empowered to see things through because there's that trust. We had leaders that were around us that's like, I trust you to get this done. You can get this done. Make it happen. That's all they got to say. Make it happen. And now that person feels like, oh, I can get this done. And when they do, that's a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Damn. I. Hmm. What you I, think, Lo? I, I dealt Lo? with it personally with. um. Our NCOIC in Germany, and Tay knows who I'm talking about, and Richie knows who I'm talking about. I don't want to name his name because uh, said, but I dealt with him, and Tay knows exactly what I'm talking about because I used to go to Tay and talk Tay Baz. I've even talking to him about this. Um, uh, he, by the way, I want to say I want to say he's not a bad dude. He he was a product of not having good leadership. So therefore, he didn't really know how to lead certain personalities. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and leading people like Tay and me, and and um, who else was there? Kruger and Hoffman Del. and Bendel, and we were all wolves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to lead people like that, you know, especially when we all think our way is the right way. So I get it. Um, me and him had our own personal issues outside of that, but 
he definitely had micromanagement issues with bomb holder and Tay no you know what I mean with the with the mm-hmm. ammo dumping and the in the brass sorting and the and the um <laughs> remember when we uh Tay were you there when we allegedly lost a weapon? Yes. See? Yes. <laughs> and we actually <laughs> never lost it. like it wasn't even lost. Yeah. That was yeah, crazy. But he flipped out. Like he flipped out. He was he went yeah. crazy. Um but yeah, I experienced it with him, man. I haven't really experienced it much in my career after that. But that was one of the times where it was uh, really frustrating because um there was a time when I felt he should have had my back as his troop and he didn't. And mm-hmm. it, um it sat with me for a really long time. Probably some years. <laughs> Cuz I mean, when I say I was angry, I was angry. And there was just certain things um that he was doing like I, I'll say it, fuck it. I was getting sent. Tay knows this. I was getting sent to the field all the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And before Tay had even got there, before Tay had even got there, I was like, "Yo, Madly, why I keep getting sent to the field so much?" <laughs> he was like, "Well, I, you know, I got the wife and the kids." I was like, "Because hmm. oh, I ain't got no mm. kids." No, and then, and then and then you know a couple other people came. Tay got there, and, and then it was me and Tay, and then but then it was like you know it's only it's only us going out there. <laughs> you know, right. getting a little frustrating, but things like that. But that was the only micromanagement I ever really dealt with in my career. Wasn't nothing too crazy, but I do think micromanaging is a circumstances dictates type of thing. <laughs> like Rich, mm-hmm. but look, oh here you go. If you are a micromanager then you are insecure of your leadership i agree i agree. I, I feel that wholeheartedly if because if you think about every micromanager that you've ran into they are insecure with their leadership style or their leadership in general like they're just insecure they're an insecure person like look at the whole person hey, t- t- tell you insecure. hit that on the money because i feel that way now i'm not a parent I'm just an uncle, <laughs> but I see a lot of parents that micromanage their kids, not with schoolwork, not with, they micromanage their kids' lives. And I feel the same way about that. Say like, if you're micromanaging your kid, then you are um, insecure about your parenting mm-hmm. because you should be raising your kids with enough trust that they're going to make the right decisions once they're faced with them. And the same thing comes down to the military. You lead your troops. So when your troops get faced with adversity, whatever that means, work-wise, they can handle it and execute with no problems. So, yeah, I agree. I think micromanaging shouldn't be in the military. It shouldn't be anywhere, but I got you. (laughs) All right, so my next question for y'all. Rich, you still there? Yep. That was weak for us. You know, I'm trying to have y'all moment. And y'all all right, so my... <laughs> I'm sorry, man. We talking too much. All right, my next question up. for y'all is... Oh, it's just you say you, you talk a lot. <laughs> all right, here you go. Oh. Here you go. So, is y'all wives there? Because it's going to be interesting. All right, here we, here we go. Nope, my... What are some of your biggest struggles as a military member in your relationship? Mm. It's a hard you... one. I want I want Richie to go because, man, Richie, you man, you are literally the epitome of like. First off, let me say this: Lo, you're the kind of husband. You know, I'm being serious, man. You're the kind of husband that I see. That when I see you and Gaz together, like I just see like y'all doing stuff together. Like I, I want the kind of relationship that you guys have, Richie. When I see you and your relationship now, you and your relationship have the resiliency mm-hmm. that I want in a relationship. So I want Richie to go, man, because I'm still, you know, I got divorced, remarried. So I'm the youngest one in mm-hmm. the group right now as far as it goes. So I want Richie to go first. Well, I... <laughs> Jade well, going to take the I, mic and be like, well. <laughs> 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 All right, go ahead. My bad. My bad, Richie. So- a little bit of my background, you know, everybody knows I've, I've been 
divorced and married a couple times and I different marriages to being dual married so another married married to another military member and also married to people that weren't in the military so I think there's a lot of different avenues I can take with this but the one that's most important is time mm-hmm. time has been the biggest struggle through my military career because of what the military asked for the military does not mind asking you to leave your family to go do whatever job you have to do. And that time that you leave your wife and your kids, that's critical time that you miss mm-hmm. out on. And I've been, and a lot of people may not understand the impact of, cause we talk about going on deployments, but I'm old enough to say when I went on my deployment, I had to wait in line to be able to use a calling card all home for 15 minutes once a week. And when you go through that type of struggle, trying to maintain a relationship or with either your wife or kids can be a struggle. Just coming off this deployment, I'm thankful for the technology that we have, but just being gone so long, it does impact because you want to be able to have that physical touch if that's one of the things that goes on with between you and your, your, your spouse. But time uh, separation has been a, a very tough thing for me in the military and understanding that is part of my job I understand I do that but I don't know on the back end if it really the cost is worth it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. damn Rich you getting deep no, go um, ahead, man. so my biggest struggle in my, my relationship as a military member was trying to understand my wife's wants, needs, and desires, not sexually or emotionally, but just in life. And try to understand that and put my, because, you know, I'm like, I'm the military member. So, you you know, you married to me. So wherever I go, if you want to be married to me, you coming, right? You know, and sometimes you got to put that aside. My wife had dreams and stuff to do other things. She wants to be a business owner. So, a lot of that ties into why I'm getting out of the military because my wife's been on the sidelines and I don't mean that in a negative way. She's been on the sidelines cheering for me because I'm the one in the game. And I said this to her the other night. I said, it's my turn to cheer for you and sit on the sideline. It's my turn. It's my turn for you to be in and, and me clap for you. Right. You know? Yes. And, and that's what go. I mean. And I told her that and she just started getting emotional. I was like, no, nah, I mean that. I was like, I, because I, like Richie said, I don't know if me staying in is worth it. And I said that. I don't know if it's worth my marriage. I don't know if it's worth my happiness and all that. But I do know that what I'm doing and and, and the things that we're heading in a direction, that is worth it. (laughs) But I do want to clap her. And that was Uh so hard for me to get, especially in Germany, when when we went through a lot of struggles because... I was like, and, and I and I can say this, I was like, you wanted to come to Germany. You wanted to come here. Mm. So why are you bitching? Mm. I said this. Wow. This came out of my mouth, y'all. <laughs> and yeah, this came out Shit. of my mouth. You wanted to come here. No wonder you come to work with black guys. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> when I tell you that I had to, ch- like, literally, I changed as a person. But I said things like that whenever tough things got hard between us because I was not understanding, yo, she's in another country away from her family, away from her friends, away from everything she knows. It's just me, her, and two dogs. And rest in peace to them two dogs. But you know what I mean? And it was just her and I I just didn't get it because I was so focused on mission. And that mm-hmm. was so hard for me to do, man, was to try to really understand it. You know what twisted it for me? You know what got me to understand it, Tay? When what? I sat there a couple weeks out for leaving for EO Tech School, and she said to me, you know, I'm thinking about taking Aussie, who was my boy dog at the time, and finding an apartment for me and him. Oh, Bro, I when I tell that. you, my entire world shattered in that moment. <laughs> Because one thing that we are always, we always mistake, and Richie said it, we think we got time. 
We think mm-hmm. we got time to fix things. We think we got time to do this, do that. What I wasn't realizing that my wife was unhappy. <laughs> I was being an asshole because I was not recognizing anything that was going on. I was oblivious to everything. And she was like, yo, I'm about to be out. <laughs> Either you get this fixed or I'm leaving. And that, that right. whole moment, y'all, I mm. should tell you the story. I completely shut down. I started my, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. Y'all could call me a, a punk. I started quivering. My lip was quivering. I was like, yo, babe. <laughs> I was like, yo, for real. I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, yo, look. I was like, I was like, give me a chance yeah. to fix this. I was like, I know I can't fix it right now. Right. I was like, but just give me the opportunity. Just That's all I ask. Give me the opportunity to fix everything that's going on. Cause we had great times. You know, we were best friends. We had great times, but like I said, trying to be a military member focused on mission. Sometimes you neglect the one most important mm-hmm. thing that's keeping you focused on the mission in your family. So that was my right. so I went I went long winded. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. Um, well, you know, like I said, I'm the young pup as far as the marriage goes. Um, going on two years oh, uh, this November. Um, yeah, man. So the hardest thing that I had to that I have to deal with being a married man in the military is like I said, me and my wife are mill to mill. So I'm super motivated, high motor, always wanting to get into stuff and always wanting to go, 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 you know, always wanting to do all this extra stuff, volunteer. And my wife isn't mm-hmm. that. So I look at her like something's mm-hmm. wrong with her. Bro. When she's not mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So like she, she looks at and she looks at me like, like and the thing is, and it was so sad, low is that she's like, go mm-hmm. do your thing, like go do all this, go sign up for this, go do that, and go be yeah. who you are. But I'm looking at her like something wrong because she doesn't yeah. want to do yeah. that. Mm. I'm looking at her like she's wrong because she doesn't want to do the volunteer thing with me or she doesn't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go work out or she doesn't want to you know do these things like I'm looking at yeah, her like yeah. something's wrong and as she is who she is like I have to accept the kind of person she is does she mm-hmm. still do her job she does it to mm-hmm. the best of her ability just like I do and the thing is Lo and Richie mm-hmm. I'm talking about all this stuff that I'm highly motivated at. Guess who won Airman of the Year? Mm-hmm. She did. And I'm sitting here looking stupid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but that was the hardest thing because she was like, you judge me for not yeah. being you. Damn. Damn. You get on me for not being the, the highly motivated, loud, whatever, whatever person that you are. You judge me for not being that. And I'm just not that kind of person. So I had to learn, like, damn, I have to accept her for who she is. Now, when she comes, and then I have to stop inputting, like, inputting myself in her. Like, I have to, when she comes for me mm-hmm. advice, then I can give it. But if she don't come for me advice, yep. let her be her. Let yep. her be who she wants to be. Let her be, if she's not a bad supervisor, mm-hmm. she's not a bad troop, she's not anything, yeah. she's great. But she just you know what me. I you know what my word for that always is that is I say and this is and this is nothing wrong with doing this because because so, sometimes I have that problem too Tay you have to let people live in their mm-hmm. space because that's their space oh, yeah. I'm I'm learning if they're happy in their space like <laughs> who are we to go in there and tell them what their happiness should be right right yeah. I got a story real quick when I first met my wife I'm glad she's in the other room when I first met my wife. She said one of the things, you know, we're talking about, like, oh, what do you like to do? Into, and she's like, oh, I like to go to the mm-hmm. gym and work out. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's this mm-hmm. is perfect. <laughs> what I didn't know is that she meant I like to be deep prep. And take my PT test. And don't get me wrong, my wife gets 99s on her PT yeah. test, sometimes 100. But she didn't mean she liked to work out every day. <laughs> like, like I, she didn't mean that's not what she meant. I told her. Oh, I know you did because I know it's there like three in the morning. Like, oh, bro, God. 
I was like, I'm when she said that, I was like, this is my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, I would marry her. But then I'm like, you fool, you know, I came to her like, you fooled me. You said that you like going to, I said, no. She said, no, you just didn't listen. I said, I like to go to, I'm going to the gym right now because yeah. I'm PT prepping. Yeah, and yeah. that was it. So that's my yeah, little that's funny, funny story. It, uh, I kind of held that over her head for a long time until. I finally realized I just have to let her be. Yeah, yeah. How much time we That's got, Ty? Are we still good? Can we go over an hour or no? Uh, we're at 56. Does, does right it cut now, off man. at an hour? Uh, I think right. so. Let's see. We'll just keep pressing. And if it don't, it don't. Listeners, if we cut off at an hour, we're sorry, but we'll try to wrap it up around an hour. What we got, Dolo? Hey, if it cuts off at an hour, because I've been waiting for this one question that's coming up next. All right, here we go. Here we go. This next question, this is a big one. That's why I saved it for last. When you leave this earth, what is your ultimate goal you want to fulfill? I'm going to go and take the time because I don't want Richie to talk. (laughs) No, I'm just playing, Richie. Go ahead. No, 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 go take. No, that no, down. please, please, Richie, go for real. This, this is this is something that y'all know. Richie Brown's always about positive things, and you know the world right now is just in such an ugly place. <laughs> so, when I leave this world, I just want to inspire people. I want to plant the seeds of inspiration mm-hmm. and happiness. Find your happiness. Strive for your goals, and and. Be what I call the unicorn that you've been destined to be. And I say a unicorn because it's very important to know that when people think about unicorns, they're all you don't ever see them. Mm-hmm. It's because they're very exotic. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I know is when I talk to people, if I leave that good impression, they're going to continue to do that. I can't change the whole world, but I can change a person. So if I can make one person's day better, that's what I want to do. I want to smile. And when people come say their goodbyes to me, if they have the opportunity or if they're at my funeral, honestly, mm-hmm. I'm inspired by my grandfather. When he had his funeral, he had over 500 people there. There were so so many people there that people stood outside just to tell him goodbye. And it was because mm-hmm. he was just a great person. Going back to what Tay said earlier, he was just a great person. And when you're a great person, yeah. people remember that. So when I pass on, I just want to plant the seed in all the people that I encounter in life to just be good. And hopefully it grows something through them to plant something in other people. And it just becomes that contagious thing to hopefully make this world better. Hopefully in the decades after it. my time it. is over with. I love and it. I'm out. Hey, that's dope. Um, man. So with me, so I had I had a, I had an answer for this before a significant event happened in my life recently. So y'all know my brother um, just got just was found in uh, North Carolina or excuse me Georgia, but he used to, he lived in North Carolina, but he was found dead. In when I tell you that my family was so just, I mean. I don't even know the word. What's the word I'm looking for? My family just wasn't prepared. Like, nobody was prepared for my brother's death. And when I tell you I had to take everything over and had to do everything, and I had to, you know, I had to just take things over. I had to call the coroner's office. I had to do all this stuff. It really hurt because my mom, my real mom, wasn't, you know, wasn't ready. My sister couldn't help. None of his aunties or anything can help. So I, I'm saying all that to say, like, I, I literally took it over and it made me sit back and think what I wanted my family to be like when I leave this earth. Mm-hmm. So I want to leave a legacy behind with my kids and my wife and the family that comes from my and my kid, my grandkids and my great grandkids that we will always remain close, that we would never be in a situation that something happens to one of us where we can't get to each other. I want to I want to have a, a legacy of oneness with my family. I want to have a legacy of just coming together, being happy and having what what you see. And I'm going to say this, what you see in families that 
have generational mm-hmm. wealth and families that have, um, you know, that get come together for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to do that with my kids. I promise you that. I promise you that's a legacy mm-hmm. I'm going to leave behind. And I'm going to leave behind the legacy mm-hmm. of helping others, giving back to others to make sure that we leave this world mm-hmm. better than what we found it. The tailors are always going to make sure that one, we have oneness with each other. And then that oneness, we're going to spread it out to other people. And hopefully it becomes like an infectious disease that just spreads out and everybody can just around us and everybody who touches us can see and want to and see the example of a family that comes together, a black family that comes together mm-hmm. at any point in time. And we will never be unorganized like it was for my brother. My brother got cremated and uh, got put his ashes got put in the urn and there was no memorial service, no nothing because nobody could mm. do anything. That would never ever mm. happen in my family. Again. Damn, that, so that I love it, man. I love what both of y'all said, man, for real. Um, Tay, mine is similar to yours, and the reason I say that is because I have a lot of things going on. So you you guys know this. Anyone that's close to you, right? So you guys are like my family. And and um, when y'all are going through it, I'm going through it with you. You know, when my brothers, uh-huh. like my sisters, my uh, my mom, when they're going through stressors, y'all go through it too, right? Uh, you know, like you you feel it because right. it's on you. Right. Now. You go to work and it's on it's in the back of your head. And uh, like my wife, she's got things going on with her family and they're my family too. And it's going through my head. And like Tay said... Uh-huh. When I leave this earth, I want to leave this earth and I want my family, like Tay said, I want them to be financially free. I want them to not have to worry about anything. I want them to not have to worry about anything. You know, I'm about to get a little sentimental real quick, y'all, and I, forgive me. And this all good. I lost both of my dogs because I couldn't afford to keep them alive. And it it, mm. it, it it chokes me up. There's a tear in my eye right now. But I literally could not afford to keep them alive. And it makes me angry. It makes me, bro, Tay, I get mm. mad. And mm. I have a family member dealing with something similar. Not necessarily that their dog is on their deathbed or anything like mine were. But their dog needs some help. And... They might not have the funds to do it. And I, and I want to, like I said, I want to leave this earth for my family. I don't have to worry about a damn thing. I don't want my family to have to choose between, you know, like Tay said, if they can't give someone a funeral or give them a memorial, I want them to be able to take care of whatever they need. They want to fly to go take a trip. They can go because I don't want them to have to ask their boss, can I take leave? I don't want them to have to ask anybody. I want them to be able right. to just go. Because that's something that doesn't sit well with me today is having to ask permission to go on vacation. That's why I'm getting out. Mm. That's why I'm done. Because I don't want nobody, nobody having control over what I do or can't do or what I can buy or can't buy for what I can give my family and can't give them. You know, and, and no, that's all I want yeah. to do. Like Tay said, you took the words out of my generational wealth, financial freedom. That's what I want to leave. And, and you know, I want to let the listeners know, like, y'all might be like, oh, he talking about dogs. <laughs> like, these dogs yeah. were not just dogs. They yeah, were had them for years. Kids. Ten years. Years took care of them. Uh, they had a mind of their own. They were in mm-hmm. classes by themselves. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Uh, he was on the work talking about, oh, this, <laughs> this, they, like, they were kids. And I'm like, man, who, who kids did this? He's like, man, my dog. But, so I'm like, oh, but, what? But, but like Tay <laughs> said, Richie, no, both of y'all, y'all both got dogs. Y'all both have two dogs. Put yourself in that mindset right now. Yep. Something goes wrong with your dog, and then you get told by the vet how much it's going to cost to do this. And you have to look the vet in the eye and say, I can't afford that. Do you get what I'm, I'm taking saying? Out a mortgage. Do you understand how humiliating my- and how embarrassing and how heartbreaking it is to say, 
I'm going to have to take my dog home and make them comfortable until they die. That's crazy. Yo, I, I, <laughs> you know, the only thing that I yeah. can say is that I was home. I was home when both of them passed, so they weren't alone. That's the only thing that I was thankful mm-hmm. for. That's it. Other than that, it was terrible on both both accounts. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, bro. So I ain't mean to get too emotional and, so, and all that, but yeah, you know, that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm I'm pushing so hard for Yaz to start her business, and I'm pushing so hard to, you know, to just do these things to to get my life to where I want my life to be, not where someone else wants it. You know, boom. Great. That's a great way to yeah, yeah. great way to end it, Low. That's a great way. So um, yeah, man, it was a good podcast. Yeah, it was man. a good one. This it. This, this it. I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't yeah, go a bro. little longer and tell y'all what really happened. If y'all want to know, <laughs> we're at sixty-seven minutes. All so right, I think I'll we're gonna cut this one, one off, and we'll save it for the next time. That'll be a hey, on the next episode <laughs> of Low Finally <laughs> Lesson <laughs> In <laughs> on on the stories that he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a secret agent, about. right? Because like, go just a preview for next week. Uh, I'll be in charge next week, and we'll be talking. So it'll be extremely shit. structured if and anyone's listening. <laughs> no <laughs> jokes, no laughing. Be more of a motivational yeah, yeah. direction, but uh, I'll. Definitely uh, look forward word, to talking word. to you all. I love it, y'all. Y'all, did, right. y'all killed it today. That shit was dope. And so, hey, this is the end of uh, the second episode of the <laughs> winning. Uh, oh, this is great, yo. This is going to be, we got to keep this in, yo. We got to keep it in. Whiskey <laughs> Wisdom winning, yo. Sorry. I, Whiskey Wisdom word. winning podcast. I promise you, Whiskey Wisdom Winning Podcast. We're still working on stuff, y'all. So, again, let us know your feedback. Let us know what you think. And uh, be brutally honest because we can take constructive criticism. So, with that being it, I will end it right here. All right. Later. All right.